to come after that. Wow, that was beautiful. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to thank the National Baptist Evangelical Association for having us. Oh, <laughs> National Black Evangelical Association. That part you don't want to forget. It took us too long to get here. Thank you, thank you all for honoring Dr. Bentley tonight, um, to whom my husband also is a recipient of her award, mm -hmm. her husband's award, from he's a Wheaton graduate. And I have the honor of introducing my husband, Dr. Wilson, tonight, and um, <laughs> what can I say? Uh, you sung our song, To God Be the Glory. Yeah. The great things that he has done, we sung that song. 32 years ago when we got married. That was uh, one of our songs. Yep. And we are here tonight because God has done great things, yeah. great things. And so we came here 20 something, 22 years ago after leaving law enforcement, my husband, to come to Wheaton to pursue a master's degree in evangelism and spiritual formation. As you know or may not know, Wheaties changed the world. We would change our lives and um, catapult us into a ministry that uh, has really been God honoring and, and he gets all the glory for it. We received a master's degree at Wheaton and worked in the prison Institute for Prison Ministries with his law enforcement background as the director of the Institute for Prison Ministries and monitoring and watching over the scholarship. The Chuck Olson Scholarship is the only scholarship in the nation for ex-offenders. Yeah. It's a full ride at Wheaton College. Yeah. We left there and went to Birmingham, Alabama, and worked at Sanford University, where he worked in missions and received another master's degree in leadership from Birmingham Theological Seminary. We were there until we received a call from Dr. Herma Williams and um, that led us to go to Fresno Pacific. She was a vice president there at that time, and it was a call to come back to his uh, alumni, Fresno Pacific, where he received his bachelor's degree in social work. We took that call and served at Fresno Pacific for 14 years as the chaplain there. And um, during our time at Wheaton, my husband started a school, the Engelhaus Bible Institute. This institute, international school, where we train pastors from, by invitation, all around the world. We do this for free. We just celebrated 22 years, and he's the president of the family. Of the Engelhaus Bible Institute. And about a year and a half ago, we got a call to come back to Wheaton and serve as the chaplain. Wheaton College. My husband is the first African-American chaplain at Wheaton College, but we have a proud honor of serving um, undergraduate and graduate students and helping them in their spiritual walk. Where he oversees um, the chaplain's office, oversees the spiritual formation of the college. He um, is under direct report to Dr. Riken, and together they have been fulfilling God's call in their life for Christ in his kingdom. We thank you so much for this invitation and we pray your blessings over us 
and the ministry that you are doing is so encouraging to know that the gospel is being encouraged and strengthened across the nation. I see many um, people from all around the world here. So thank you so much, and it's an honor to be here. Blessings to you. Amen. family. I bring you greetings today in the name that's above every name. That's the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. To my president, Dr. McCray, thank you, man of God. What a privilege it is to, to share the pulpit here with you, and thank you for 52 years of faithful leadership. To the First Lady, Lady McCray, thank you so much for all that you do for us as well. And to my beloved mother in the ministry, Mother Bentley, what a joy it is to see you. Still looking beautiful, amen. Someone said to me earlier, oh, you a baby of the MBEA. I am, Dr. Bentley gave me an award 22 years ago for urban evangelism in the city. And so I'm probably one of the firstborn of this great convention. So watch what you say. I got my people everywhere in here. But I've tried my best to live up to the legacy of Dr. Bentley's work uh, around the world. And uh, thank you to my queen tonight for talking a little bit about the wonderful privilege. We've served uh, now over 20-something years in five different countries in Africa, planted 12 different churches across North America, served at four universities, and I ain't no ways tired yet. The Lord has been good to me. And so it's an honor to come here on the 60th, y'all and to celebrate what God is doing. Can we give God some praise for that? And so it's an honor tonight again to uh, greet and to fellowship with our esteemed leaders and to all of you, our beloved brothers and sisters who serve in this great kingdom organization. I just want to take the time to thank all the Reverend clergy for being here tonight. Uh, I want to thank uh, all of you in the committee, the steering committee that make this work possible. I'm so glad to finally be back in Chicago. I paid my dues tonight, Brother President, so you can expect to start seeing me at the meetings. Amen. I'm ready for business, ready to work. I have an assignment tonight, and that's to bring you some good news from a faraway country. I want to thank again you for this wonderful occasion because I believe you got the theme right. You see, for without the shoulders of our pioneers and founders, we'd have no shoulders to stand on. And because of their labors, we are who we are on today. So I'm encouraged by the conference's vision, memorializing, messaging, mentoring, 
missioning, and magnifying. All while looking black, moving forward, and lifting Jesus. Can I get a witness right there? And it's because of this vision and this challenge, I want to lift a portion of scripture tonight from that great book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, and look at our brother Moses, who was a mentor and a shepherd, as well as a friend of God. Now, y'all going to help me preach a little bit? Y'all just had that chicken. Don't sleep on me now. Let me breathe a word of prayer over us. Our Father and our God, thank you. You've been good to us. We just heard it, Lord, by trumpet and saxophone. It's been amazing grace that kept us this far. And it'll be that same grace that leads us home. Father, as we pause tonight to dive into your word, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Breathe on us now. Give me your son preaching power and preaching permission. And we'll know that preaching will be done. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. From the book of Exodus, chapter 3, hear the word of the Lord. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. And so he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called him. From the midst of the bush. He said Moses. Moses. And Moses said here am I. Then the Lord said to him. Don't draw near to this place. Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place where you stand Moses. Is holy ground. And moreover I am the God. Of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid. To look upon God. And the Lord said Moses. I've surely seen. The oppression of my people. Who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry. Because of their taskmasters. For I know. Their sorrows. So I've come down. Did y'all hear that? I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Them is our people, y'all. All right. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel 
has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. So come now, Moses, and I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to tag this message tonight a ministry to be remembered. A ministry to be remembered. Brother President, in the Exodus passage, we get to see a covenant that God established with his man. And he does this in order to save his people. When God got ready to rescue them, he raised up a Moses. He would send somebody that nobody ever expected would come and intercede for them. Moses was an unlikely candidate to work for God, but God could use him because he was unqualified. This text is a picture of what God can do in the lives of his children, and it also reveals how much God loves those that are in need of saving. Pastor Brian, he uses humans to lead humans. Servants to serve others. So I pray tonight in this lesson that when we leave here, we have a greater desire to obey God even in the midst of our own disobedience. So there's three things I want to argue for you today and I'll get on out of your way. Y'all going to help me? I want to talk about what happened when God called Moses What happened when God compelled Moses and what happened when God commissioned Moses? And I'll get out of your way. The Bible says now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, who was the priest of Midian. And he led that little flock around the backside of the desert. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the middle of the bush. He looked, but the bush was burning on fire, but it wasn't consumed. So Moses said, I'm going to turn now and see this great sight. Why the bush will not burn? And when he turned aside to see, that's when the Lord called him. Can I unpack this pericope for you tonight? Beloved, when we come to this first portion of the narrative, the first thing we see is that God appeared to Moses. And when he appears to Moses, reveals himself, he calls Moses. Secondly, we see that when he calls Moses, Moses has already got a job. He's working for his father-in-law as a shepherd. He's doing something else with his life somewhere else. In other words, God never called nobody who ain't doing nothing. Can I say some more? When he calls Moses, he appears in an unusual way. He reveals himself 
as the angel of the Lord. Now, the Old Testament calls this a theophany. It's an Old Testament picture of Jesus, right? He appears to him as the Christ. And when God calls and shows up, guess what, y'all? He shows up in a quiet place. He's in the desert, a place void of distraction. Why? Well, I believe that God knew Moses would make excuses if he showed up anywhere else. But here there would be no confusion on who it was that was working with him and calling him. So God arranged a divine meeting at the bush. Dr. Caesar Clark, that great preacher of yesteryear, commenting on this text, said this was no ordinary bush. No, 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 no. It wasn't like just any old bush on fire because it burned in a new way. It burned with a new glow. It was an unexpected setting for no apparent reason. It was a bush that was picked out by God in order to be used by God for the purpose of God in the place of God. I feel like doing it tonight. Can y'all help me? On one hand, it looked like an ordinary bush, but it wasn't an ordinary bush. It looked like it was being consumed, but it wasn't being consumed. Here it is. Pastor Gillen, it was on fire, but didn't nobody light it with matches. It was on fire, yet it wasn't destroyed. It was on fire, but the flames were different than any other flames. The fire burned with intentionality. It burned with purpose. It burned with persuasion. And it burned under the power of God. That this was a fire set ablaze for a special meeting. And it was a fire, yes, set for an encounter with God. This fire was set to confirm the meeting that God was calling Moses into the ministry of reconciliation. It was time for Israel to be reconciled back to God, to Yahweh. And Moses was the servant that God was using for the assignment. Here it is. The whole appearance at the burning bush was getting ready to change Moses' life. I stopped by to talk to us today. Remember your meeting at the bush. First of all, before God could use Moses, he was brought to the place where he had to bow low and recognize who he was. Y'all remember the text, right? He said, Moses, take your shoes off. This ain't no ordinary meeting. You're standing in the presence of the God of your ancestors. Let's get humility in line first. Can I say some more? And here's what I learned. Servants that will be in a covenant relationship with God. God will take their shoes off. Can you come help me with this? There it is. Before God calls a person, he always humbles a person. I wish somebody would be honest with me tonight. And then after he humbles you, he reveals himself to you. Did you catch it? See, the memory of the burning bush 
was going to be a source of encouragement for Moses during the many trying situations he would face while he tried to lead his hard, stiff-necked people. Moses would always be able to come back to that bush meeting and remember who it was who called him. Uh, God uses the burning bush encounter to separate Moses from everybody else. Can I argue my text? Come on now. On all the millions of the Israelites, none of them had a burning bush experience. This was set apart just for Moses. Come on in here and talk to me now. If you're going to work for God as a leader, you've got to have a bush encounter. Because the bush will remind you when you get ready to quit. The bush will remind you that this ain't man's idea. This is God's assignment. Moses was called by God to be placed in a position where he might first see God for himself. And the bush experience proves that. Let me say this. MBEA, you too have had a burning bush experience. 60 years ago, God plucked you out of the midst of some people. Gave you an encounter with God. And set you on a ministry trajectory that would shake the nations. I'm hunting for a witness right there. You too have had an encounter with God at a special place. That's the only thing keep you going 60 years later. You heard him speak to you. He's challenged you and revealed himself to you. That's why you can't quit. I feel like preaching today. Y'all going to help me? Listen, you need this bush after 60 years of struggling, after Reaganomics, two bushes, and a Trump experience. You need a burning bush to keep you standing on the hill talking about Jesus died. I wish I had one witness in here. You need a burning bush experience or else you would have stayed in the life of these. You, you need a burning bush experience because it gives you a fresh calling, an encounter with God to that God is doing something bigger on earth than what you and I can see with the natural eye. Now, I know y'all size me up. Y'all say they ain't letting him preach like that at Wheaton. Please. You give me the mic and it's on to the break of dawn. What am I talking about? Don't you forget your bush. When things get hard, don't forget the bush. When your body ain't acting right, don't forget the bush. When the assignment gets lonely, don't forget the bush. When the winds of tribulation blow, don't forget the bush. Come on. When you're ready to throw the towel in, don't forget your bush. When the newness wears off, don't forget the bush. When the hounds of hell get louder and louder, don't forget the bush. When the money gets funny and the change gets strange, don't forget the bush. When you stop seeing fruit and the harvest ain't looking so revealing, don't forget the bush. When those kids ain't acting right, come on, talk to me. Don't forget the bush. 
The bush will be a reminder of who called you and why it is you here. We've looked at what happened when God called Moses. Come here now and let me show you what happened when God compelled Moses. The Bible says in verse 7, and the Lord said, I've seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, Moses, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. And I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians. And Moses, I want to bring them up from that land to a large land. A land that's flowing with milk and honey. You know that land, Moses. The place of the Canaanites. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, Boo Boo and Bebe them. That land, that's where I want to bring them to. So y'all can say amen tonight. Look, when you come to this portion of the text, we see where God compels Moses. Watch this now. He compels him with his own story of oppression. What are you saying? What are you saying, Doc? God tells Moses about Moses' people and the struggle that they are under and the struggle that they are living with in a fallen world. See, Moses is a man with a history of trying to be a premature deliverer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I argue my case? There was a time when he tried to do God's work without God. Y'all know the narrative. He looked to the left, looked to the right, saw the popo wasn't there. He took justice in his own hands, trying to deliver his people. Killed a man and hit him in the sand. And as a result of Moses' self-ministry, he became Egypt's most wanted. I can't keep it real with y'all tonight. Moses had a heart for justice, but it wasn't in the timing of God. So God had to get Moses ready. He had to let him do that to let him know you can't deliver nobody without me. Moses, I'm the deliverer. So I got to get you ready. Here's 40 years of seminary. I need you to spend time with me before you go on 79th and Ashland and set somebody free. I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. All the text is trying to show us is he's giving us a detailed report that God see the struggle. He ain't blind to the struggle of our people. He's aware of what our people are going through. But when the time is right, you're going to know it. Because there's going to be a burning bush involved. He calls you, then he compels you. And let me argue the text. Don't I have something that my pastor used to say, Wilson, don't make it up, look it up. God says, Moses, I have seen, I have heard, and 
I know. And I have come down. Did y'all see that there? What a message. Moses had often wondered about the condition of his people. And now he was shown a divine picture that God was watching the whole time. Secondly, when you come to this text, we discover that God always calls a leader who can identify with the mission. Come on here, y'all. He ain't calling any jack leg that say I got a ministry. I'm sorry, I know. I shouldn't use that word jack leg. I did go by to school, two doctorates, two masters, but every now and then, I got to put it where you can get it. Are y'all in here? He calls somebody who identifies with the struggle. And that's what he does with Moses. In other words, he ain't no ordinary choice. He understood the suffering of the Hebrews. So God set up the meeting to compel him to engage with the plan of God. Just to keep it clear with y'all, it wasn't like he needed Moses. God didn't need no man to do nothing. Y'all remember when he started to whoop Pharaoh, those was his lice, his frogs, his flies. Y'all in here now? Moses was just present. God was doing the work. I want to help somebody here who think the ministry can't go without you, baby. Oh, he can get it done without you. Can I say some more? He could have just said the word. And Pharaoh and all of Egypt would have bowed down. But why didn't he? Well, he wanted Moses to get to know him. That's what this was about. It was about Moses getting to know Yahweh for himself. Uh, uh, so he compels Moses to come. And the covenant with him. Yeah. To collaborate with him. I'm sorry y'all. I didn't got comfortable huh. Can I just say it this way. He's a covenant God. He's a God who uses people. To save people. Policies are great. Procedures are nice. Dr. King said. Uh, the law can't make a man love me. But it can stop him from lynching me. He was right. But God uses people to help people. He uses people to bless people. He uses people to serve people. Can I call roll? He uses people to elevate people. He uses people to protect people. He uses people to work with people. He uses people in covenant relationship. Why? Because they bring him honor and glory in the earth. Thirdly, He compels Moses because he has something better for his people. The text says, I got a place for my people, Moses. And it ain't in the harsh ghettos of Goshen. I got a better place. And it's over yonder. It's a place where their fears will be no more. It's a place especially designed for them. Lady Gullen, it's a place where they'll be safe from their enemy. But Moses, I need a shepherd. (laughs) Yeah. 
who will walk with them until I'm ready to take them in. Come on, help me, somebody. I need a shepherd who know how to treat sheep. I need a shepherd who know how to walk with sheep. I need a shepherd who knows how to love sheep. I need a shepherd who knows how to protect sheep. I need a shepherd who knows how to feed sheep. I need a shepherd who knows how to heal them when they're helping or hurting. Moses, can I sign you up for this ministry? I like this right here because God wants Moses to be in a covenant relationship with him. And he's the man that God is compelling and revealing himself to. And I'm so glad tonight that God has used our president to compel him. To shepherd us in this great ministry. I'm so glad for Mama Bentley tonight that her and our father, Dr. Bentley, had a vision to call the church to evangelization in our neighborhoods. Shepherds God called and summoned to lead us into that precious and powerful land. I like this here because he compelled Moses through story to remember the suffering of his people. See, Moses knew the systems that they were brought up in. Remember, Pharaoh's sister was his mama. She adopted him, so he grew up in Egyptian schools. He knew Egyptian political science. He knew the theories and all of the history of the ancient Egyptians. Moses knew the laws of Egypt and he knew they were unjust. So God needed a shepherd who understood them, went to their academies, was able to learn their lessons, and then brought them back to the hood. Because he understood. I'm trying to preach, but y'all ain't helping me tonight. God knew what he was doing when he called him. Listen, I know sometimes you got your ideas about leadership, but you need to leave it alone. Because you never know what God is doing and why he sent somebody where he sent them and then brought them back to lead you. The time is right now. And so he compels Moses to work with him. Well, I got too much meat up here. I got to hump it off. We've looked at what happened when God called Moses. We've peeked at what happened when God compelled Moses. Let me land the plane now and show you what happened when God commissioned Moses. The Bible says in verse 9, and I'm through. Now therefore, Moses, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come up to me. And I've also seen the oppression by which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now. And I'm going to send you. There it is. That you may bring my people. The children of Israel out of Egypt. Thank you, family, for listening tonight. 
I hope I have made you proud as a son of the NBEA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need your prayers. But when we get to this last pericope of the text, you see the commission of God over Moses' life and for Moses' life. He's been called, compelled, and now commissioned to do what no other man on the earth had been called to do. Moses is to handle God's business in the earth. Moses is to face God's people, God's enemies, and do God's business in the place where 40 years ago he ran from. God is sending him back to the place where he failed as a deliverer. Come on, say amen in the back. Look, look, God sent him to the place where they still got wanted pictures up for the prince of Egypt. God is sending him back to the place where nobody is expecting him or have asked him to come. Come on now. Okay, y'all can't say amen. (laughs) Moses is being commissioned to do something that nobody else knows about or even cares about. We ain't asked you to come here, Moses. Y'all in here? Ain't nobody gonna have no welcome signs for him and his family. Ain't no 501c3 for this ministry. Ain't no health care plan for being the deliverer, working for Yahweh. We didn't call you Moses. Moses is working for God alone to help God's people. That's okay. I got my own amens right there. He's been commissioned by God. The committee ain't got nothing to do with this. <laughs> but God tells him on top of all that, Guess what God does? Uh, Brother President, uh, Mother Bentley, he hides from Moses everything he's about to go through. (laughs) Pastor Brian, he don't tell him that when he get him out there in the desert, they gonna turn on him. He don't tell him that ain't nobody gonna believe your sermons. He don't tell me, ain't nobody going to receive you and your family. You're going to have to walk alone. He don't tell him about the downside of ministry. He just gives him a picture, go, and I'm going to have you talk to Pharaoh. I feel like preaching here. Y'all with me here? I have a little saying, but President, I tell my wife, start the car, baby. (laughs) What am I getting at? He only tells Moses what he needs Moses to know. Can I argue right here for you? Do you know that your ministry with God is a need-to-know ministry? You want a need-to-know ministry, he'll tell you when you need to know. And he only tells him what will inspire him to do what's next. I wish God would have told me what I was walking to at Wheaton College. 
I wish he would have pulled back the veil and said, now, Wilson, get ready. I wish he would have shown me, but he didn't. All I knew is that I'm calling you to shake it up. His commission is a divine order and a divine assignment that'll cause him to have to lean on God every step of the way. I got to leave you now. But in this new assignment, God was going to need Moses to walk with him every step of the way. It's interesting, but God could have called any bird of the field, any portion of his creation that he wanted to, to do it. But he chose Moses to be a co-laborer. On my way down, God had to get him ready. 40 years in the backside of the desert watching sheep who don't fight back don't talk back they don't growl they don't bite they don't claw they cuddle and they never look up because they're directionless sheep are directionless creatures they live by their appetites they go according to what they feel like eating. Yeah. So Moses has to learn to be patient. Yes, oh God, I feel like preaching. Yeah. Patient out there. Yeah, yeah. Dealing with those who can't care for himself. Yeah. And when God thinks he's ready, yes, he says, come here. Yes. I want you to shepherd some real sheep now. Mm. <laughs> Can I tell you that God's got a track record mm. of calling, mm. compelling, and commissioning shepherds for the work of the ministry. Mm. When I look at the record of Yahweh in the earth, God, when he got ready to come Mm. and save mankind, he sent a man who was along the lines of the good shepherd. Well, uh, Jesus, yes, got his calling in the wilderness. Yeah, he was getting baptized. And the Bible says the heavens opened. And the Spirit of God descended down on him in the form of a dove. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son. There it is. Who I'm well pleased with. And then after, yes, he came out of the water. God compelled him for 40 days in the wilderness. And out there in the wilderness, he was equipped for handling the satanic temptations in ministry. Mm-hmm. And after he compelled Moses, he commissioned him to finish the work. I heard, I heard, I heard Jesus say, I've come 
to heal the sick, to preach the gospel to the poor. He was commissioned to do the work of heaven. Can I close right here? And his ministry, it took him to a hill outside of Jerusalem. Come here now and watch the Lamb of God fulfill the work of the kingdom. He died. Didn't he die? He died on Calvary's hill. My mama said they stretched him high and they dropped him low. He bowed his head in the locks of his shoulders. He died. Didn't he die? Rocked and riddled like a drunken man. And I'm so glad he died. Are you glad tonight that he shed his blood at Calvary Hill? But the good news is he went into the grave, took the sting out of death, victory over the grave. And early, early, early Sunday morning, with all of heaven and earth in his hand. He rose, didn't he rise? He rose, didn't he rise? He rose, didn't he rise? And I'm so glad today that I know the man. Do you know the man? Is there anybody here that know the man? Then I know he's all right. I know he's all right. I know he's all right. Say yeah. <laughs> Say yeah. Say yeah. He's all right. I got to quit right here. But I got an old school hymn in me. Can I bring my hymn to the 60th anniversary? It says, I got a feeling. Everything 